morning, y'all. Good morning. Hey, we are transitioning typically now to a time of, uh, of worshiping the Lord through giving, y'all, through giving. And I want to, normally, our, one of our associate pastors would be up here and we'd be passing a bucket around. Well, I guess this morning we would be passing the bucket from the drummer to the bass player to the guitarist, I don't know. So we're not passing a bucket today, but I want to encourage you uh, one thing. Uh, despite circumstances, we worship this way. You can go to churchonthetrail.org and click on the give button. But I would tell you this too: if this is, if you're worshiping with us online today on uh, through our live stream, but your church home is somewhere else, I encourage you to give uh, an offering, a tithe to your church family uh, at this time. Let me pray over the over the offering real quick, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, we love you today. We thank you uh, for everything that you do for us. Lord, we thank you that you're sovereign, sovereign despite our circumstances. You are in control. Lord, we would ask that you would take these tithes and offerings and you would allow us to do your work out in a, out in a world that is crazy right now. We trust you. We love you in Jesus' name. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on the staff here at Church on the Trail. And I want to give you a couple of little things before we get into the message. And, and, and the first is this. I posted a video three or four days ago just to kind of give you an update. And if you have not watched, if you have not, uh, have not looked at that video, I would encourage you to do that. And you can find it on our, on our uh, Facebook page. You can also find it on Vimeo. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's 17 minutes long. But there's some good information in there that I think you need to hear. And if you want to find it on Vimeo, it's vimeo.com slash church on the trail. I want to encourage you to go to our website. And again, our website is churchonthetrail.org. We have, uh, our, your staff has been hard at work all last week creating an online community so that, uh, so that we can stay engaged, so that we can stay connected. Because here's what I know. The Lord is going to use all of this to advance the gospel. And so we felt it was, it was incumbent on us to create a way for all of us to lock arms when we can't maybe physically lock arms and create an online community. And it is called COT Connect, C-O-T-T -T Connect. And you can find the schedule of the events that we're going to be doing on Facebook Live. Most of them are going to be live on our Facebook page. But if you'll go to our website, click on the Connect tab, the very first link is COT Connect and you'll find the schedule of what's going on. And we're really going to be live nearly every day, every day of the week, just joining together and staying connected and engaged. I want to pray real quick, and then we'll jump into today's message. Lord, we do love you today. Lord, I lift up uh, every church on the planet to you. Lord, there are lots of churches that have never done this, that have never live-streamed, but here's what we know too, Lord. We know that you can take this and more people, more people, Lord, will hear your word. More people will be reached with the gospel in this way. Churches, church buildings around the, the globe may be empty, but we know that there very well may be more people that will hear the gospel today because of the way this is happening. And it didn't sneak up on you, Lord, and you are in control over it. And so our prayer is that more people today would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We love you in Jesus' name. So look, guys, we're starting a new series today, and it's called Three Days. Three Days is the name of the series, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next month 
or so, the next month, not focusing on viruses, but focusing on Jesus. We're not going to focus on social distancing. We're focusing on Jesus. We're not focusing on what the world is talking about. Y'all, we're focusing on Jesus. Easter is four weeks away. Easter is four weeks away. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going we're gonna to look at the last three days of Passion Week. Passion Week is this week that is leading up to Easter, this last week of Jesus' physical life on the planet. Today, we're going to pick this up in the, in the, just after midnight in the wee hours of Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33, just hours, y'all, just hours after the Last Supper. When Jesus and his guys, they shared a Passover meal. They had the first ever communion. Lots of stuff went on at this Last Supper. They had the first ever communion. Jesus tells them that one of the guys there is going to betray him. He got up and he washed the disciples' feet in an, in an amazing kind of act of humility. He washed their feet. And Jesus told Peter at this Passover meal, he said, Peter, you're going to be the one. You're going to betray me. Excuse me, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times, he told Peter. At the end of this meal, in this upper room, uh, Peter passionately, passionately pledged his loyalty to Jesus. And he said to him in Matthew 26, he said, even if I may die for you, even if I must die for you, Lord, I will never, ever deny you. And so then they got up out of that room. They went out to the garden at Gethsemane to pray. So I want to pick this story up in Matthew 26 in verse 47. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, and we know from the Gospel of John that that, that one was Peter. He stretched out his hand, he drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. And we know from that same gospel that that guy's name was Malchus. He cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against, uh, against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me then. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. So at this point Jesus is arrested. And he's taken before Caiaphas who was the high priest. Caiaphas wasn't uh, one of the Roman prefects or a governor. Caiaphas was the high priest. And so Jesus is taken in front of him. Uh, Caiaphas along with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the council. The council is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's like the city council, the city government. And Jesus is taken before them. And then the text tells us in verse 58, it says, And Peter was following him. He's following Jesus at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. 
And going inside, he didn't go inside the building, he went inside the courtyard. He sat with the guards to see the end. And so Caiaphas, the high priest, asked Jesus if he is the Christ. And Jesus boldly confesses in verse 64. He says, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest and the people, the Sanhedrin, the council, they flip out. I'm telling y'all, man, they flip out and they scream that he deserves death. Kill him, they're saying. Remember now, Peter is sort of um, lurking in the shadows at this point as all this stuff is going down. And he can hear what's going down, but he's kind of hiding back in the background. And so he, I'm sure that when Caiaphas asked uh, Jesus if he is the Christ, Peter's mind went back to when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter said, well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter's mind starts playing that through. So the high priest and them, they're flipping out. They say, kill him. And so now we come to the, we're coming to the text that I want us to dive into today, and that's verses 69 through 75 of Matthew 26. It's this night. It's kind of in the middle of the night. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. So this is the first time that Peter denies him. And I bet Peter cannot even believe the words came out of his mouth. There's no doubt. I think the cause of this first denial, this cause of Peter's first denial, is that he was hanging out with the crowd. The crowd is really very often not where you and I ought to be. The crowd usually represents a world of rejectors, a world of haters. It definitely did in this case. Honestly, Peter was failing Jesus and failing him big time. At this moment in history, sitting with the crowd was the wrong move. It was the wrong place to be. Now, of course, he never should have betrayed his best friend Jesus in the first place. But having run, because the scripture tells us that they all fled, having run, he should have been off alone with God. He should have been off alone with God in prayer. Should have been on his knees. He should have been looking for answers and looking for, uh, for understanding from the Lord. Or maybe he should have been with the other apostles, locking arms with them, connecting with them, helping lead them back to the Lord, helping, helping to have them turn to, to seek the face of God for direction. Maybe that's where he should have been. Y'all, I believe that there are at least, and there's probably more, but I believe that there are at least three causes, three things uh, that cause us to deny, three things that can lead a person to deny Christ. And we can see all three of these, at a minimum, in Peter's experience. Number one is this, just deserting him, just simply running away. And that's what they did. Verse 56 tells us, then all the disciples left him and fled. Number one, just deserting him. Number two is this, half following him, just sort of half following him from a distance where nobody can see. So he's hiding behind a tree, kind of doesn't want anybody to see what he's doing. In other words, not walking alongside of him, not standing beside him, not being identified with him, not kind of having his back. Verse 58 says, tells us, Peter was following from a distance. 
And then number three is just sitting around with the crowd. The end of verse 58 tells us, he, Peter, sat with the guards to see the end, sitting around with the crowd, hanging around with the crowd, being wrongly influenced by the crowd. You ever been wrongly influenced by the crowd that you're hanging around with? Y'all, Psalm 1, the first verse of Psalm 1, the first that kicks off all the wisdom literature in the scriptures. The very first verse of Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk along with the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor is standing with the sinners nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. And scoffers are, are people that mock and people that disrespect and people that scorn. Blessed is the man that doesn't hang out with that crowd of folks. So y'all, this first denial, and I'm going to call this first denial um, the denial of, of don't know nothing about it. I just, I don't know nothing about it. And that's denial number one. It is a denial that pretends to have nothing to do with Jesus. I don't know nothing about it. That's kind of what Peter told this young servant girl. John 15 tells us that John was there as well, that this servant girl was the one that kept watch at the door and that she knew John and let, him come and let Peter come in. Apparently, John asked her if Peter could come in with him, and she said to Peter, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. And I don't really read this, y'all. I don't read this as an, really like an accusation. I read it really like she is saying, um, oh, I know you. You're, you're a friend of John's. You, and you were with this Jesus guy too. It doesn't seem like there was a threat in there. It was just a, oh, I know y'all. Y'all come on in. So it doesn't seem like there's a threat, but Peter acts clueless, like completely clueless. His exact words are, I do not know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. He pretended y'all to have no earthly idea what this woman was talking about. Verse uh, 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. Now think about this though. Peter wrote these words about 30 years later after this night. You think he was thinking about that night when he wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 3. He wrote, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. So now you're saying Christ the Lord is holy 30 years later. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone. Was he making a defense that night? But 30, no, he wasn't. But 30 years later, he writes these words. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Let me give you all a thought. Pretending is one of the sins that has hounded, hounded man for years, for a thousand years. We're asked if we think something. And we do, but we deny it. We're asked if we know something, and we do, but we deny it. We're asked if we fear something, and we do, but we deny it. We're asked if we did something, and we did, but we deny it. So this first denial is this denial of, I don't know nothing about it. And so that is what Peter pretended in that moment. Pushing ahead, verse 71. And when he went out to the entrance, the entrance of this courtyard, Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, so she's talking to the bystanders, this man, pointed at Peter, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it, but he denied it with an oath. He said, I don't know the man. 
I don't know the man. So here, the second denial is a denial by oath. This is a stronger denial, y'all. He says, I promise, like on a stack of Bibles, I do not know this man. So this charge is made by another servant girl, but it definitely sounds a little more like an accusation. Like she is pointing at Jesus, but she's looking at the crowd, and she's talking to them, looking at the crowd of what the text calls bystanders, and it was probably a bunch of them. And she's like, hey, y'all, hey, y'all, that guy was with Jesus, that guy. And you know what? Realistically, it was true. Peter was an apostle. Peter was one of Jesus' guys. In fact, he was supposed to be the leader of all of Jesus' guys. I mean, again, Matthew 16, Peter was the one that professed that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the son of the living God. Peter is the one who earlier in this chapter swore absolute loyalty to Jesus, and he said he would never, ever deny him, even if it meant death, just hours earlier. This oath thing that this text is talking about, it's a big deal because here's the way that you and I would understand this. And forgive me for the way I'm going to say it, but this is the way I understand what Peter said. He said, I swear to God I don't know this man. That's what Peter said. And there is a strong, strong warning in there for, for me and you. A strong warning of how fear and how self-protection and how selfishness and self-preservation can so quickly, y'all, quickly lead us into betrayal and sin. Let's just look at Peter's life so far up to this point. Peter was Jesus' best friend. I have no doubt that Jesus was Peter's best friend. And Peter was Jesus' best friend. Peter was a strong, strong disciple. Peter knew and Peter had trusted Christ as the Messiah. Peter made just super powerful professions of loyalty to Jesus. Peter's the one that jumped up and whacked off Malchus's ear in the garden. Peter had just like a few hours earlier, y'all, just a few hours earlier, he had taken part in the very, very first communion. Peter had left everything that he knew to follow Jesus. He left his dad. He left his business, dropped it like a hot potato and followed Jesus. And then he denied even knowing him like 10 minutes later. I don't know. Maybe it was the crowd. Maybe he feared the crowd. Y'all, I know this. Too many believers are scared. Too many are scared. And because they fear, they put their testimony in jeopardy. They put their testimony for Christ to the curb. More importantly, if you live in that fear, you miss out on a golden opportunity to witness and lead other people to the cross. Do you today, y'all, do you today... Do you fear embarrassment? Do you fear ridicule? Do you fear position or power or authority? Or do you fear your friends or do you fear your family? Do you fear that today? So the second denial is a denial by oath. Now the third one is a denial by curse. We're going to call it a denial by curse. Check out verses 73 and 4. After a little while, and the Gospel of Luke tells us that that little while was about an hour. So after a little while... The bystanders, now it's the bystanders, this crowd of people, they came up to Peter. Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he, Peter, began to invoke 
a curse on himself and swear. I don't know this man. And maybe, y'all, this is the worst one of all. Now we got a crowd that comes up and they lay a charge on him. And this third charge was a little bit different than the first two. Peter was no longer really being charged with having been with Jesus. Now he's being charged with one of you. You're one of those people. You ever heard people say that? You're one of them. You're one of them people. In this case, you're one of those disciples. And it was the southern accent. No, check that. It was the northern accent that gave him away because Peter, he was from Galilee, and Galilee is to the north in Israel. Curse. Curse is the word that's used in these two verses. And it means to call down divine punishment if what is said is not true. And so here's what I hear in these verses. You're one of those people. I can tell by that stupid accent you got. That's what the, the, the crowd said. And Peter said, let God strike me dead with lightning right now if I'm lying. I absolutely don't know this man. I swear to God I don't. Kill me right now if I do. That's what Peter said. That's the way we can understand this. And so with each of these denials, Peter got more emphatic because I'm pretty sure that with each question, Peter got a little more scared. And so Peter chose the path of expedience instead of faithfulness. Y'all write that down. Don't choose the path of expedience rather than faithfulness. Peter was being paralyzed by the fear of man rather than the fear of the Lord. Hey, man, I get it. Like, I understand it. Because the truth is, I hope that I hope that I hope, and I pray that I pray that I pray, that if the terrorist has a knife at my throat, that I will have the faith and the guts to spit in his face. I hope that and I pray that. Here's a thought. Sin begot sin, begot sin, begot sin. In other words, sin uh, uh, causes me and you to decay, to deteriorate. It causes us to devolve and to deteriorate more and more and more. Just think about the, the cascading effects of these three little short passages. Peter's first denial, he just pretended ignorance, don't know nothing about it. He just plays dumb, simply sin. Peter's second denial, he really committed apostasy. He falsely swore to God on a stack of Bibles. And then this third denial, he like, he like committed blasphemy. He called down a dang curse on himself from the heavens. Now, rest of verse 74 and 5. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Praise God, y'all, that there is a remedy for denial. There is a cure for denial. There's a medicine for denial. It's repentance. It's repentance. I believe there was sort of three steps in Peter's road to repentance. Number one is this. Remembering the Lord's words. And the Lord's words to Peter were like, bro, bro, before that rooster crows, not one, not two, not three times, you will, you will deny me. You'll deny me. Before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And then Luke adds eight words, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. He adds eight super critical words to this. Verse 61 of Luke 22. 
right prior to this, he says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So I want you all to imagine this scene. Peter says, Lord, strike me dead right now if I'm lying. I absolutely don't know this man. Y'all, you got to think that Peter is standing there covered up in guilt, covered up in shame, covered up in disgrace. Everything that he thought he knew about himself, all of the self-confidence, all of the belief in his undying loyalty to his master, it had all been wrecked and it was laying there in a pile of ruin. He sees himself as a failure. He sees himself as a liar. He sees himself as a traitor and one that has gone so far as to call down God's wrath on himself in denying the Messiah just to save his own skin. And in that moment, he looks up at just the right time. And Jesus looks at him at just the right time. Peter locks eyes with the God of the universe. And y'all, the word that Luke uses for looked, it doesn't mean like Jesus looked out through the many blinds and he saw Peter across the courtyard. No, that's not what it means. That word means that he gazed deeply into Peter's eyes. Intimately. He pierced into Peter's heart and mind and soul. The Lord's eyes were fixed on Peter. Can't you imagine that like this movie, like if, if it was a Spielberg production that, that Peter's whole relationship, his, his entire relationship with Jesus is flashing around his mind. Man, he's thinking about, man, I remember when he, when he called me and I jumped out off the boat and I left my, my family business and my dad and I followed. He's thinking about the transfiguration. He's flashing in his mind when, when the Lord asked him, who he was, and he says, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. All that's flashing in his mind, all the encouragement, all the compassion, all the teaching, all the love that is all just racing in Peter's mind. And so I don't think Peter just remembered Jesus' rooster crowing words. I think Peter remembered three or three and a half years of walking the dusty roads of Israel with Jesus. And it's this look that did it. It's this look that did it. You know what I think Jesus' look told Peter? What I think was in those eyes when he looked at Peter? I believe that Jesus' look was screaming that he had not forgotten Peter. You ever feel forgotten? The Lord will never forgive you, forget you. He will never forget you. That look told Peter, I want you back. That's what that look told Peter. That look told Peter, I love you, Peter. I want you back. I want your service. I want your loyalty. I want you to come back to me. He wanted him to find his way back home. And just hours before that, Jesus said, and this is also in Luke, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So he had prayed for Peter. And the power of that prayer was just about to come to fruition. The power of that prayer was just about to move Peter's heart and Peter's mind. And I believe step one on this road to repentance is remembering the Lord's words, y'all. Dig into your scripture. Remember the words. That's for Peter and it's for me and you. Step two is this, getting alone. 
Peter left that area as fast as he could. He flew out the gate and he got himself alone with God. He was broken, y'all, and he was full of, of anguish uh, and full of pain for having failed his Lord. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. He is sobbing. That's what that word means, wailing bitterly. Step two then is getting alone and getting on your knees. Wherever that is, get in your war room, get in your prayer closet. Somewhere get alone with the Lord. So step one and step two, I believe, culminate in step three. Step three is repentance. Repentance, the experience of godly sorrow. That's what repentance really is, is godly sorrow. Let me, let me give you what I think is a great definition of repentance. And you hear me use that word, if you're part of our church family, you hear me use that word every Sunday, and that is because, at the end of the message, because it is such a critical, crucial component of the gospel. So here goes. Repentance, it's a change of mind. It's an inward change of mind. It's a change of affections. It's a change of convictions. It is a commitment that is rooted in the fear of the Lord and sorrow, sorrow for the offenses that were committed against who? Against the Lord. And when, you, when that is combined, when that is accompanied by faith in Jesus, that results in an outward turning from sin and a turning towards God and his service and his and loyalty to him in every aspect of our life. It's not just I'm sorry. It's not just I'm sorry that I got called out on it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, for godly grief, and he's comparing godly grief and worldly grief, Grief, for godly grief does what? It produces a repentance. What does that repentance lead to? That repentance leads to salvation without regret in contrast with worldly grief that produces death. The same steps, y'all, that Peter took are steps that you and I take. Remember the word of God and hit your knees and get alone with him in prayer. Those two things will lead to authentic, genuine Repentance. So upon remembering the Lord's words, verse 75, Peter flies out the courtyard. He finds his way into the safety of the dark streets in, Jer in Jerusalem. He gets on his knees and he is weeping, the text says, bitterly. So here's the point today. I say all of that to say this. This passage is not about Peter and his denial of Christ. This passage is about Jesus. This passage is not about the rooster crowing so that Jesus can somehow say to him, I told you so. The Lord will never, ever, ever, ever say, I told you so. It's outside of his character. Y'all, our mission at Church on the Trail is to help people find their way back to God and grow. Do you find yourself today with some distance between you and God? Maybe there was a little rift between you and him, I don't know, two, three, four months ago. And all the craziness that is now going on in the world has got you scared. And rather than leaning on him, maybe you've taken some steps away from him. Stephen Armstrong read a passage at the beginning today that talked about yoking, being yoked to the Lord. That speaks to two oxen who are yoked together. Not to keep them from straying from each other, but so that when one of them can't take another step, the other one steps for him. That is what we're talking about. You may have leaned away from him instead of leaning in to him. 
I don't know, maybe the fear has caused you to sin like it did Peter. I don't know, but I know this. I know this, and I want you to think about this. You cannot gaze into the very eyes of a holy God and be the same. You can't. It can't be done. That gaze that night in, the, in that garden with, with Peter changed his life. So you cannot gaze into the very eyes of God and be the same. He is a God of restoration. This is a restoration issue. He restores broken things, y'all. He redeems broken things. Peter, in that moment, in the piercing, piercing eyes of Christ, he recognized, he acknowledged, he, he really, really recognized, and he owned his brokenness. I think that it was in that moment that real repentance took place in Peter's heart, mind, soul, and in his life. I think that it was in that moment, and I think that's why the text says that he was weeping bitterly. It was in that moment that restoration began. And y'all, it is a perfect image for me and you. Look into his eyes this morning. Look into his eyes. Man, you'll never be the same. Look into his eyes. You'll never be the same. He will restore whatever is broken in your life. And if you've never done this, I'm asking you to remember his words and repent. Remember his words and repent. Turn from your sin, turn towards him, and believe that that death on that cross redeemed you. It restored you. He is buying you back. That's what the word redemption means. So you repent and you believe that the death on that cross, that Jesus' death on that cross, it paid the penalty for your sin. And all it is is, I'm telling you, if you've never done that, do it right now and ask him to save you. And he will right now. I don't know. Look, I don't know if you are laying in your bed watching this message. I don't know if you're in your car in a parking lot watching on your phone. I don't know if you're sitting in your den watching it on a smart TV. I don't know. But if you ask him to save you and you repent and you believe, he will save you right now. He will save you right now. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Wherever you are, wherever you are, get on your knees. Get on your knees. And pray this prayer. Lord, let today be the day that I repent, that I repent, that I turn away from the sin. Not in perfection, but I turn away from the sin and I turn towards you. And Lord, I believe, I believe that you died on that cross and took care of me. That I, I believe that you died on that cross and you restored me and you bought me back. And I want you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the deal, man. If that happened to you today, I want you to get in our comment stream on Facebook, on Facebook Live, hashtag restored. Let us know that there's restoration has happened in your life. Hashtag restored. If you want to send us a private message, let us know that your life changed today. You can comment in the stream or you can do it on a private message, but we want to walk this journey with you, so let us know. I want to close us out this morning, I think, with something that of all people, Peter wrote again in 1 Peter. And he wrote this again about 30 years after this night. And I want you to think about these words that Peter wrote. I want you to think about, was he thinking about that night as he writes these words? It's 1 Peter um, chapter 5, and it starts in verse 6. And I want to read this to you. 
Peter wrote, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at, and this is a prayer that Peter, Peter is praying sort of at the end of 1 Peter. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. I right, think about it. That night, Peter wasn't casting anxieties on Jesus. He was running, but he was restored. 30 years later, he's telling me and you to cast some, no, all of our anxieties on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. You think in those piercing eyes of Christ when he looked at Peter, he was telling Peter, I love you, Peter. I care for you. And he's telling you that today as well because he cares for you. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You think Peter thought about the prayer that Jesus prayed for him that night about the devil? He says, resist him, the devil, resist the devil. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, and the God of all grace. Man, Peter knew grace. After that night, Peter knew grace. So the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself do what? The God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter says, to him, y'all, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, let today be a day of restoration in this country. Lord, let today be a day of revival in this country. Lord, what the devil meant for evil, you meant for good. We trust that you can take all of this. Lord, we pray for bandwidth. We pray for bandwidth. What a crazy prayer. 2020, we're praying for bandwidth so that your gospel can be shared all over the planet. And so, Lord, again, I lift up the churches all over our country, all over the world, that your name will be proclaimed, not just to proclaim your name, Lord, so that you will restore people, so that you will redeem people. Lord, my prayer is that there will be a wave today of people on their knees. Because if there is a wave today of people on their knees, you will be restoring millions today. We love you and it's in Jesus' name, amen.